0: Stop punishing yourself with bland chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. Welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. Today's guest is Jordan. Now, Jordan's job did not exist 10 years ago which is essentially being a manager for some YouTubers. But these aren't just any ordinary YouTubers. These are Europe's leading YouTube brand, the Sidemen. They have built an incredible business and have built a media empire through YouTube. Not only that, they've now gone on to expand into many other areas, whether it be food, drink, or whether it's football, boxing. It's a demonstration of how our economy is changing more than ever before. It's an amazing interview, particularly when you think if Jordan's job had existed in the past, the most similar one to it would have probably been manager to the Beatles or something similar. It's an amazing episode, so I hope you enjoy because it really is the future of our economy. Jordan, welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. Thank you for having me.
1: So for our audience, can you explain what the side men are? Of course. So the SideMen are a group of seven individuals. Their names are KSI or tags are KSI, uh, Zerka, Toby or Jizzle, Harry, Rotashaw, Ethan, Payne, Bazinga, Vic, Vicstar and Simon Miniminter. And they are the biggest creator group in Europe. So they have over 244 million followers across everything. If you had to add all the different numbers across all the channels, of course, there's some overlap, but still. And on YouTube, they are over 80 million subs now on their main channel, seven million on their second, uh, and I think five on Reacts. And they're just growing at a huge rate. Their whole content is around around entertainment, around challenges, around you know competition between them, their friends, and building bigger and better ideas and scaling up this kind of (laughs) this YouTube empire that they've that they started 10 years ago. This is their 10 year anniversary this year, so. It's It's been non-stop and they started literally as a group of friends playing GTA together back in 2013 and that's evolved now into what I believe to be the biggest sort of cultural export of this generation. Nothing really has come close to or to come close. There's no reference point other than maybe like a One Direction yeah. in terms of the size, the scale, the, the weight with their audience and that connection. And yeah, we've been working with them now for the last two years and they are a joy to be with. I mean, it's almost like they
0: are kind of a band, right? But it's mm. it's you know it's not just songs, right? It's like it's absolutely everything. It's all yeah. the games. It's all the sort of like the the behind the scenes aspect that's become so much real in kind of sport and almost every aspect of life. You know, people mm. wanting that sort of behind the scenes look into kind of what they what they do. What? What? And what's your role for them?
1: Yeah. So myself, uh, my co-founders Aaron and Sam, we started Arcade Media back in. 2021 was like 2 years ago mm. to manage them fully so there was a big gap i think there is still a big gap in the space especially in the in the uk around like creative management that is more long term and strategic brand building versus sort of transactional more agent style management so i wouldn't even call that really management it's more just making making money from brand deals and that's a big part of the industry and super important but that doesn't really take an individual to the next level I've been at YMU, uh, which is a big talent management company, um, biggest in Europe as well. And I've been there as a chief creative officer for, f- for four years at the time that I'd left. And so for me, working with people like an Anton Decker, Steve Aoki, Frank Lampard, whoever it might be, like being, you know, with these guys in the, in the sort of strategic brand building of their, of their world, the difference and the sort of level that needs to go into that sort of planning and actually saying, right, where are you now? Where do you want to be? And how do we help you get there? How do we add value to that as, as a team? And ultimately, as the CEO of YMU Neil always used to say, make some, make things happen that otherwise wouldn't happen without you, which he would always define as management, which has always stuck with me. For the side men and for us as a group, a, a group of, of individuals, myself, Aaron and Sam, it was about coming together and helping them with that next stage, which is all about building IP, taking the brand to the next level and building a world around this incredible audience that they have created, providing so much value to this audience in as many different ways as we could. To build things that could outlive them. And how do you define creator? Yeah, I would say a creator is somebody who is publishing online original content in whatever form that is. So I think that is that that could be a podcast, that could be TikToks, that could be, you know, I've got a three-year-old now as so you'll probably like a miss Rachel who I'm sure you come across yeah. who creates like sensory you know, videos and for speech therapy for kids it's anyone who's publishing and publishing and using using the world of social and the tools of social to publish creative output and content whatever that might be
0: and so how that IP point that you
1: make is quite interesting how is that
0: sort of protected at, at the sort of early stages and mm. so on because a lot of people when they start these things, won't have thought about that.
1: For sure. And and I think this is this is the exception, like building IP, creating brands around what you've done as a creator. That can only really happen once you've created such a strong brand around your content that and I think it was Colin and Samir who's like the, the blueprint and the dream reference for anything we're trying to do over here in the UK front box. They're incredible. They have a podcast over in the States and, and a show on YouTube all about the creator economy. And I think they said that like the difference is do you have a brand when you're not making content? And I think that's kind of step one. I thought it was a really good way of defining it. Like, are you a creator who has a brand nobody, when nobody, when you're not putting out anything? Like, do people still recognize you? And they use Emma Chamberlain as an example of somebody who isn't posting all the time, but she's still got a really strong brand around her content. <laughs> Excuse me. So I think that's almost stage one. And then in order to build IP and to create brands that ladder up and, and are the kind of next layer of, of your world and your, your empire state building that you're, you're trying to craft, you need to have first have that brand. And then it's around how can we, you know, create products, create, um, ideas, which your audience, which will add value to your audience. And in terms of protecting the IP and what does that look like? I think it's, it's somewhat traditional. It's actually you putting out an an idea, getting it into the world and then going through trademarking, copywriting, actually protecting it legally. Um, but again, you need resources, you need capital to do that, you need capital to get an idea off the ground. You need money to pay for lawyers to protect and protect the ideas. So I think you have to be a certain level of a creator to really be able to do to do that at the, the top scale. Um, but when you do so, you, you know, you can really do do pretty big things.
0: And when you... And one of the most interesting things about what Simon and you are doing now is you are sort of creating that sort of more traditional product that people would associate with sort of mm. drinks and food in, in particular. Can you talk us through the sort of, you know, those
1: and how they came about to be? Yeah, of course. So yeah, so we, uh, when we first ever sat down with them, um, all on Zoom, actually, literally, because they were too busy. And I, I, funnily enough, I hadn't even met Sam, who's our third co-founder until we'd set up the business. We'd started working because this was all during the kind of end of COVID, that sort of tale. So when we had a bunch of Zoom calls with them, um, and one of those was to present a strategy. So we sat, I sat down. It was what I'd been doing at YMU for a long time. So it was sort of a, 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 a muscle flex, if you will, to put together a strategy. We did that for them. And what included in that was like 15 things that we immediately thought could be amazing. Things that they could conquer or do if they wanted to. So we had all these ideas, all based around the sort of strategy of, of building this kind of entertainment behemoth, if you will. And that ranged from everything from you know launching membership club to podcasts to um, trading cards to uh, hotel to all of these things. And in that in that deck and in that in that vision was was you know creating a food brand and creating an alcohol brand. And I know, and I know at the time we knew that's something that they'd wanted to do before. So we sort of developed that out. And then we put all of these ideas into like a spreadsheet, and they voted on them based on the things they're most passionate about and the things that they wanted to do. And the way they work is super democratic. Everything's about a vote and about sort of taking the emotion, if you will, out of decision making as much as as you can. So, you, yeah, we, we put that deck, that deck together, that that sort of sheet together. They voted on it, and the two ideas that were number one, number two, were creating an alcohol brand and creating a a, a, f- a food brand or a food restaurant. And so we said, cool, we got to work and we started building them. And like with everything, <laughs> often the name follows, or the name is the first sort of step, if you will. And having a funny name, and with the word "side," you, you don't even know the amount of things that side can go into, <laughs> is like astonishing. Um, and so that was partly how they came up with some of these ideas. Is they'd had these lists of names, one of them being sides. So sides for this food brand. So then it was like, okay, cool. How do we build a brand that is all about food that they love, which they will genuinely enjoy, which is part of the part of the challenge, which you know they want to make and they want to put out there into the world. And so we started developing the idea for 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 a ghost kitchen led brand. that originally was going to be one site. We actually got relatively close to signing. Like literally, I think it was the day before that we pivoted. Actually, in Voxel was the first ever side yeah. site that we were planning. But what happened was uh, we ended up meeting uh, this company called Hero Brands. And Hero are the owners of German Donner Kebab, Island Pokey, Chopaloon, and a number of other big businesses uh, in the food space, especially those have a massive cash and carry business called United Wholesale, which is like the biggest in Scotland. I think it's like 40% of all the cash and carry trade in Scotland is through them. And so we met them and obviously these guys know food. That's literally what they do. The GDK is like the fastest growing food brand in the UK and in the fast food space. So we came together with them and they were like, look, before you sign on that lease and before you do anything, we would love to talk to you about doing it together. And credit to them, they moved super fast and, and the ambition went from like one ghost kitchen to, no, we're going to launch with 10. We're going to, you know, get a proper brand of business around this. We're going to, you know, support with with kind of cash flow and an operational um structure and all the learnings we've had from GDK, we're going to bring to sides. And so we said, yeah, let's do it. So we pivoted. Went with them and we've been working with them now for the last sort of year and a half. Robin, who leads that team, is is amazing. He's at the CEO of sides. And the ambition now is to kind of grow it out and build it into, into hopefully a rival to the KFCs, to the Nando's and so on. And a similar story with XAX, we had sort of been developing the process the product, getting it to a point where this we were really happy drink, that right? the yeah, XX yeah. Volker, yeah. Sorry, for those who don't know, which was number one, I think, on this, it beat the restaurant in terms of their what they wanted to do. And we got a developer then here again, you know, with the great cash and carry business they had, their expertise around product. We we jumped in with them and said, look, let's do it together. So those conversations both happened at once, and then it was it was literally about six months or so, and we launched both brands within the space of like two months, and they both did amazingly well. So like sides, we sold out like every piece of chicken we we had. Crash delivery to the point where they had no drivers, and we had people waiting like four, I and mean, it was a bit of a nightmare. I Can't lie. <laughs> had like, that was the most stressful launch of my life. They had like four hour wait, waiting queues. People on social media like, I can't get my food. And that's because delivery had no drivers because we crashed it. People were literally traveling down from the country to go, and, to go and stay at a hotel so they could get sides delivered to them. I remember seeing one guy, they went to Hoban Station. yeah, And they just literally like got a seat in the station to, oh no, in Houston, sorry. They went, they got a seat in Houston to order sides to the station so they could try it. Like all this crazy stuff. Um, and same with vodka, we sold out like all the drops we did over that, that launch period. And it was like one of the fastest selling, if not the fastest selling spirit that's ever launched in the UK and the same with sides in 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 the food space. So yeah, super exciting. We've got a number of other brands we're building, but those are the two that we, we kind of launched with them. And, uh, yeah, it's been, been a bit of a ride. We'd never have thought I'd be like running or part of the team running a a fried chicken and a vodka brand. And talk to us
0: about that sort of like the, the creating process. Cause I can imagine a lot of sort of like. Yeah, youngsters listening to this thinking gosh this career seems like amazing right like I'm a broadcaster I'm you know I'm having fun with my mates I'm also doing proper business stuff in terms of like launching brands mm-hmm. and, and so forth like talk to us about sort of how the ideas are initiated I mean you talked mm-hmm. about it being a democratic sort of process there between the seven of them which I also suppose is quite a useful number in terms of yeah, democracy as well but yeah just how do these sort of ideas generate i mean mm. do you sit down with a whiteboard or yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: Like, <laughs> i think a lot of them it starts often with you know there's a story right they i think simon and a few of the others were in the back of a cab go into a shoot or in during a shoot and they just started rattling off these names that side could go into for different potential ideas and and concepts so for example sides um that has the idea for a bar called inside you've got I mean, there's a bunch of others, which I shouldn't even really say because actually they might become a thing, but there's <laughs> yeah. so many different variations of Westside can go into. So that was often, and I found that at Lab Bible as well, actually, when I was there, so many great concepts came from a pun or came from something funny as a concept mm-hmm. that like, okay, that name makes me laugh or that name makes me go, yeah, that's, that's cool. And then from there, the product comes in and the brand spills out. And I think that was the starting point for them just to kind of ignite that, that first thing. And then it was, well, okay, what do we actually love and what do we want to see? They always, for example, Vodka wanted to go to a club where they could get their own drink. Same with size. They wanted to be able to order their own food on delivery, like these small sort of things and these, and these moments, I guess, which for them having done this for so long, what else can they do? What more can they do? It's to kind of bringing their world to such a scale where they can interact with it as consumers in a sense. <laughs>
0: How do you think it will sort of evolve in terms of the product launches and so on? Because I suppose you could look at them slightly and think, you know, the things you mentioned, sort of, you know, GTA, vodka, you know, chicken sort of do tend to be targeted towards the sort of 20-year-old males. How, like, how do you think that will change? I mean, some of the guys have had their first kids and, and so on. Yeah, so yeah. do you think we'll see, you know, side baby product launches? and so <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, very potentially, you know, all sorts of things could, could come. I think I think also with the product launches, it's not doing it for the sake of launching something, right? I think that's the key and what differentiates and hopefully why the brands have both been very successful is because it's more about the product and building something which adds real value. Our, our biggest things with everything we do is value and access. Like how are we providing access to as many fans as we can and how are we providing proper value? So with Sides, for example, it's like the food is really good. Like people love it. It's been very well developed with great chefs and great te- a great team around it. Again, GDK's team, they know how to make food. And same with vodka, like the process, the the glass, the, you know, the, the, the actual drink itself, like none of it's white label, it's all bespoken, it's all owned. Yeah. And that was like a real process to kind of get all of that stuff to, to the quality level where you go, right, this can stand on its own two feet. And I think we never want to do anything which is trapped to the world of the side men. It needs to be like ignited by them. But then ultimately the aim is in five to 10 years time, you know, they never have to even be in the promotion of, of a br- of their brand potentially or actually these things can hopefully be so loved by people that they can stand on their own two feet.
0: And how much do you think <clears> is <throat> it changing in terms of the audience building and, and trying to take over more, trying to grow that audience and so on? I mean, I think there's been a bit of a shift in the last few months, particularly with um, KSI and the Prime drink, right? I think mm-hmm. like all of a sudden my like, parents are kind of understanding this thing and it like, yeah, I was in Sainsbury's see the morning and all the kids were sort of like, dividing up the aisles that they were going to go and try and find and I just thought that it was amazing to kind mm. of see that but is that now a kind of like a very intentional focus in terms of you yeah, know that sort of i guess the the more established market as it were
1: yeah was well, is in bringing products into sort of more retail yeah, and yeah, and yeah more
0: retail <laughs> and that sort of you yeah, know it's not just for sure being an online youtube
1: yeah well i think i think it's you know d2c is brilliant right like selling product directly but I think what we've really learned and one thing that i've 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 sort of definitely felt is that you're you're kinda of not trapped, but you can only get so far without some of those traditional methods so you know you can build a brilliant econ DTC business where let's say vodka, for example, you're just selling yeah. alcohol directly, but with the regulations et cetera your your audience numbers vary small because you can't sell in certain markets you have to go market to market to market to get your regulations and your licenses sorted out so it's it's fine to a point, but ultimately. To really hit distribution, I think the big thing which Prime has taught us, right? And, you know, they've done an amazing job. Obviously, it goes without saying. Mams, who's JJ's manager and his team, and then obviously Logan's team and so on. Like, the distribution has been the difference. So the e-com portion of what they do will be, like with us, with with Vodka, much, greatly greatly insignificant compared to the retail sales. And that's because retail is so powerful. Even though D2C will be massive, it will, you know, the ability to plug into, for example, Walmart in the States, to Kruger, to all these places here to Morrisons like we do with Vodka or you know with Sides we're looking at a number of sort of franchise partners who have huge kind of distribution networks of of space like the difference that that can take your brand is is massive so I think for us it's kind of blending the world of social and online with the more traditional approach to retail and to yeah. brands and then if you get that right I think then you can really hit, hit new audiences at scale
0: Yeah I think it's fascinating right and you know the Gymshark story that all being online but now having their first store in Regent Street as yeah. well it's fascinating how these kind of Evolving um, worlds are happening. How many people are kind of involved with the SideMen yeah. from a jobs perspective? Because again, if I was a youngster listening to this, <laughs> yeah. I think this sounds like a cool place to go yeah. work.
1: No, hopefully, I mean, look, we have, you know, we have Arcade, which is essentially our, the the management team, uh, and what we do is we build that. We are building the team for them. We only have one client, so our whole focus is is the SideMen in their world. So everyone who works for Arcade works for the SideMen, essentially. In the team of sort of full-time people is about 20 to 25 kind of every day in the wider freelance network, the content team, which includes, you know, creatives, thumbnail designs, et cetera. I think it's about 35 people in that. And then there's so there's around 50, I say, people working full-time all the time on, on the brand. And then the extended network in terms of, you know, people working on the supply side, people working on the food brand, the membership club, the, um, you know, vodka, all these different elements, trading cards. Who touch the brand in one way or another, it's probably upwards of hundred to 150 people. Yeah. In that, there are so many different like brands within brands and teams within teams. And if you think about all the chefs at sites across Oman, you know, the UAE, the UK, where we've got where we have our sites, start to add that up, it gets big pretty quickly. Yeah. I can
0: imagine. I can't wait for the day that there's an Oxford <laughs> economics report or capital <laughs> economics into the sort of uh, economic footprint of the site, and it's incredible. Just one specific mm. one to pick up on there, because I think it's really interesting. Thumbnail designers, mm. right? To delve into a job. what What's the what's the job <laughs> of a thumbnail designer?
1: Yeah, well, so YouTube over the last few years, especially, has become as much a, a science as it is an art. So I think traditionally, you know, you make content and it with consistency, with quality, you could get an audience. Now, I think to really build scale, it's about optimizing every element of what you do. You speak to the people who are far better than than me or anyone in our team around like YouTube expertise and understanding that people like a Paddy Galloway or whoever who's a great YouTube consultant um who works with Mr Beast aside and others and you hear what they say and it's like the the levels of optimization that require for things to really pop off and do well is so much more now than ever before. So for example, in a thumbnail, Mr Beast has like ten thumbnails or five thumbnails that he rotates. For every video, if it doesn't pop and it doesn't move, okay, next one, next one, next one. Same with titles. Even not sure for him, but others, but others do. Yeah. The side men, we are, you know, we're always looking at thumbnail optimization. Are the colors right? Are the palettes good enough? How does it communicate what's happening clearly enough? With giving enough of a of a, of a sort of a question to the audience that they want to then explore the video. Like, how is it enough of a draw? And also, how do the elements in the different components of the thumbnail like? How do they, how do they grab you without pushing you away, without being too controversial, too inflammatory, but they're compelling enough that you go, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll watch. And there's so much of a science behind that, that, you know, when you're digging into it, it's slight changes, colors, not being vibrant enough or being too vibrant. These things can be the difference between a video that really pops off and goes viral and one that doesn't. So it's making sure that every element is thought through and, and, and optimized. And yeah, there's a whole team of people. I think Victor, who's our head of content, who's incredible. He has three people just working on thumbnails, There's a whole thumbnail project. And the amount of, also the amount of revenue that you can make in going back to old videos and changing the thumbnails, changing the titles is huge because the way the algorithm works, everything's hyperlinked. And obviously, you know, you're recommended is, is a vast majority of the traffic. So if you have like old videos, that have never done anything before going back and saying, actually, yeah, that thumbnail's not so good. Let's flip it out. Try a new one. Even going back to your whole library, and redoing the thumbnails, it can take a video that's here to here, yeah, even if it's been up for three years. And you could be making a significant amount of revenue just doing that slight change. So it seems like a slight change, but on YouTube, it's, it's so important.
0: And uh, but tell us how you ended up working for the Simon, Yeah, because I think this is a fascinating story.
1: Yeah, for sure. So my, my journey, how far, how far back should I go? Not that it's been like a like well, no, of I, like I, so a yeah, yeah, I mean,
0: a good point no, to but start I think you think? It would be great to hear about the Lab Bible. Yeah, tell mm. us your sort of story, and, sure. and then then we can touch on Get that. To Simon. Yeah, yeah,
1: so um, so I will. I'm 25 now. I was, when I was 17, I was at school in my last year. I was like, I applied to uni. I got my offers accepted, but I was just like, I just, I don't want to do anything but go to uni. I just could tell in my book, like there was something just telling me this was going to be such a waste of time and it just wasn't going to be valuable for me. And I had that instinct, but I'd kind of gone through that process still. And so towards the end of, of my time at school, I was like, right, I need to find a second option and just see what else is out there in the real world. And so I uh, looked around and I thought of all the companies that I liked and the company that I sort of wanted, would want to work for, if any, uh, at the time was weirdly Vice. I was like, they're making amazing mm-hmm. documentaries, brilliant content. It's like 2015, really just cutting edge stuff, I thought. And so I looked on the website and I found, uh, again, you don't know, this is what we were talking about before, you don't know the jobs that exist, but yeah. I looked at the company site and I was like, wow, there's a job called a creative. Amazing. That was sort of the things that I've been doing. is building brands, building formats, creating ideas. Documentaries, all sorts of stuff that I've been playing around with while I was at school. So I was like, all right, that's great. So I found a list of like 20 emails of people advice and I emailed every single one of them and said, Hey, this is what I do. This is me. Would love to come in and get some advice and potentially talk about work experience. As with everything, you hit out like 20 people, you're going to get like one reply, which is the advice I give to people now. Um, hit as many people as you can. You will get something back if there's, if there's a good message in there. And yeah, got, got two replies and one of them led me to them meeting the MD of the agency uh A man called Ian Richardson, who's a friend of mine now. Uh And he was like, yeah, come do work experience. So I did work experience there that summer. And then when I was, uh, when I had to then go to uni to do a course at Kings called digital culture, which I, which is a nothingness of a thing. I should have really seen the writing on the wall, but I didn't. And I went, and uh, it was just awful. I hated it. Every single part of it was just. But you don't
0: know, do you? Because you, you trust these places, and you think, oh, it'll get, it'll get yeah. good. It'll yeah, get so there must
1: be something. Yeah.
0: Whereas digital culture, there's probably nobody better qualified than yourself. And well, be, this be, was the,
1: this, this was sort of the dichotomy it was was actually. Hang on, I'm at Vice every Friday, or I'd been at Vice during my work experience period during summer, in the real digital economy, digital culture. And then I was going to study it at King's. I was like, this makes no sense. Like they're so far behind what's really going on. And I can sort of get that sense. So I was there anyway for, for like one semester. And then at Christmas, I was speaking to the creative director and the, and the associate creative director who was sort of my little team. And they looked after me and they said like, look, we would love to have you if you wanted to join and actually come and work it full time. We don't want to annoy your parents and make them think that we've like forced you out of you. I was like, no, 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 like a hundred percent. Yes. Went home and the next day I dropped out, put my form in and was was done. Didn't go back after Christmas. And then from there I started advice and then Ian basically covertly asked me, he was like, hey, like this is a few weeks in, would you like to come with me to Lab Bible? Because I've got a job to run their agency. So he took me for a walk around the block and we had that conversation. He was like, yeah, I'd love you, love you to join me. So I said, yeah, why not? Like he was great. I loved him. He was, you know, doing, he did an incredible job there running that, running that business. But I was 18 or whatever it was. So I was like, well, there's literally nothing to lose. Like, why not? So I went with him to Ladd. And this was during Ladd's kind of post-problematic era, as I call it. Like, you know, post kind of Bum Day Mondays and all of that stuff, which Uh. people of a certain generation will know. And the whole job was about coming into that business and helping to make it more adult. Like they had this very kind of uh, ad hoc, quite chaotic way of working. And Ian's role was to come in as, you know, the head of Vice's agency to build the brand and content division for, for that business, as well as a bunch of other key hires to help sharpen it up, make it more adult professional and, and ultimately like palatable for, <laughs> for like modern audiences, right? Which yeah. needed to be, and also for brands where I needed to make money. So we did that and I was there for a year and a half, loved it. It was, was great, like such fun time, amazing group of people at that point as well, that like, people have gone off to do incredible things. And then, yeah, towards the end of that point, I thought, right, well, you know, I've worked with a number of brands. I've kind of done this enough now at 19, I think I was like, I'm going to start my own agency and go out there myself. So I did. And I started a, a Gen Z marketing business called Roundabout. The whole aim of that of that company being to help brands connect with Gen Z. So whatever business it was, I knew that my sort of, I guess the uh, the value that I brought was being young and being able to communicate whatever need you had as a business into this audience who I was ultimately a part of. So I could credibly say that for getting experience, I knew my experience was being, I think 19 at the time of growing up when I did. So I kind of bottled that up and put that in a, in a business and we went and had great success, like working with really, really good clients. And one of those clients was James Grant Group. So James Grant being at that point, and they still are like the leading sort of talent management company in, in the UK and Europe, looking after everyone from like Anton Deck and Reggie Yates to Philip Schofield to Ryland to all sorts, all of TV essentially. They looked after Take That, Steve Ioki and so on we worked for them as an agency, <laughs> excuse me. And I was working with like Ryland and Frank Lampard and Reggie on, on their strategies and their future-proofing. And it was great. And we had a, such a good time. But then I love working there so much that myself and Mary, who was the MD, she's now the CEO, we sat down and she was like, look, I'd love to have you fully, like as much time as you can give. And I remember speaking to Michael and Stefan at the time, who were the two guys who were working with me around about, and we were like, you know what, we've done this now. We've, got, we've all got this platform where we've been working with these great brands. We've got amazing connections. Let's go off and do our own thing. So we agreed that. And then I joined there as chief care officer in the beginning of January, 2018. And I was there for four years, three and a half, four years, four years, including the consultancy time. Loved it. Worked with so many amazing people, had the chance to, you know, bring in amazing talent to the business. People like Amelia de Moldenberg, who runs Chicken Shop Date now, like, you know, worked with her back at Lab Bible and knew that she was amazing. She's having this like incredible moment right now, but was able to bring her in and being given the trust to be like, right, no, you need this person in the business. That was so fun. Like people like Munya Chihuahua, who's obviously killed it and done amazing work. Like being able to bring him in and people like Zach and Jay and Woody and Cliny, all sorts of amazing talent I was able to work with. My whole job was to future-proof the business in every different sort of area. So I was very much like an all-rounder, but I loved it. It was so much fun. And then it got to the point where after COVID and everything, I felt that like the business was entering a stage where it was trying to recover, really, from a lot of the losses that had happened at that point. Things like TV productions getting shut down. Some of the biggest earning things, of course, in TV, like all of those productions just not happening. How does it recover from that? And it, it became quite stressful in a way that wasn't very efficient. It was like we were doing a lot, but also not a lot. And I feel like a lot of companies yeah. probably had that. I met up, up with Aaron who, is, who worked there in the business management division and we were always friends. He was always like a business manager plus. His whole thing was like... How do I work with my clients, but really take them to the next level and, and support them beyond just accountancy? So we always clicked and got on and he left to manage some TikTokers. He then met Sam Ewens, who's our third co-founder. He's like the accountant for basically all of UK YouTube. So everyone from Patricia Bright to the Side Men to, you know, Casper Lee, just like everybody, right? He's he's looked after and, ha- and does still look after most of the scene. So they came together and realized there's a big gap still for this management proposition that really looks at long-term strategy and brand building. Something that we, me and Aaron had always talked about. So then he brought me into that conversation and we all came together to say, right, what does this look like? And then, yeah, that kind of led to us having conversations with the side men and saying, right, guys, this is where you are, but this is where you could be. You have the world at your feet, but you maybe don't know how to get there because you haven't got a team around you. We could do it. And they were like, yeah, let's go for it. So I had like a one month notice period, which was a hangover from when my contract was first made. (laughs) Weirdly, they tried to change it to three, like about a week before. And I was like, I'm going to hold off on that. And so I put my my notice in, and then left at the beginning of April, twenty twenty one.
0: So yeah. And what does the future kind of look like? You know, you talked through that there, and you're only twenty five. Like, what does success look like in five
1: years' time, ten years' time? I see. I I don't know, and I wouldn't I wouldn't actually weirdly want to have to have an answer because I think the thing for me I've always felt is. The best way for me to to work actually is to not have. I don't say ambition; it's the wrong word. But I don't really have ambition in the sense I don't say, "Well, I want to be here," and I've never done that. I think the only time I ever weirdly did that was when I was at um, at school, and I was like, "Right, I want to be a creative advice," because it just gave me some level of focus. I think where I've come now, actually, and where I am, and also to be fair, where I've always been, is to just go from opportunity to opportunity when those opportunities present themselves as a, as a next step. And when you know there's a nice next step, I've I found anyway that they don't come around often, but when they do, you feel it and you're like, right, this is the move. And I think I felt a lot happier in a way, just going slightly more day to day, just trusting things to, to progress and to take care of themselves and actually going when those moments arise, not hesitating. And yeah. I think whether that's leaving uni, whether that's joining Vice or whether that's leaving Lab Bible even to start my own thing. And I think, yeah, that's kind of my the way that I I enjoy it more rather than being like, because I think if you have a goal and you have a thing, right, in 10 years' time, I want to be here, five years' time, A, we're not in control of life at all, but also you end up probably being disappointed. I wouldn't know, but I can imagine, I speak to some people, they're like, well, I haven't hit this thing yet. I wanted this. I wanted to make this list. I wanted to, you know, be in this seniority at this stage. And if you haven't done that, how does it feel? Whereas in in my world, it's more like there's no pressure because everything's very much in the moment and quite immediate.
0: What, what does success look like in the 21st century, do you think? What do you think it means to your generation?
1: I think it means freedom. Yeah. So I think now where we are with you know, the macroeconomic situation, the reality of living, I think people feel, and they, they feel more enslaved to the world of work than they've ever done before. So I really, and you see this happening, and you see sort of the, the reaction to this on TikTok a lot. People are like, right? I'm a night. I'm literally. I'm, I'm waking up. It's, there's this meme right about uh, about these videos of people showing their day, and it's like this nine to five, and it's so miserable because it's like, wow, that's someone's life. Like every day, it's like you're waking up at seven o'clock and you're going to do this thing, and then you go and get your lunch, and you go home, and there's this treadmill feeling where everyone's just like, why? Like, what are we doing? Whereas before, in a in an economic environment where you could, you know, see that work was to maybe get a house, to mm. have your family, to settle down, right? That world's kind of gone, I think, because of how much pressure there is financially, and how much the system is against young people and against everyone. Really, I would say, in many ways, by design. And it, and if you look at the way that people are are now forced to work, you know, at a, even a senior level for hardly any money, especially in this country, the way that taxes. I remember there's a video where somebody was making 50k so i'm making 35 and the person making 50 is making one and a half grand more after tax than the person making 35k and you go look that person at 50k might have spent seven eight years nine years building to that point it's like where's the incentive so i think where what success looks like now and it's why i think you're seeing more people become freelancers more people start their own companies more people want to be creators is because the opportunity for upside is so much bigger And being in a company as a salaried employee for 15 years as you used to, to get to a partner level, that world's, I think, gone. And people don't have the time to wait. I think people are like, wow, life is short. I need to live and be free. And I can't do that on my 20K salary. I cannot do that. And I think, therefore, success is is not about money for materialism, because I think that's almost like a luxury on the other side. It's money just to live in, in a world in which 20 years ago would have been considered normal. For most people, that world today is is so much harder to obtain. So that's, I think, what happiness is, is what success looks like, sorry, is, is freedom. And uh, you see people now, as I said, more and more young people, I don't think will be joining companies as salaried employees for that very reason. How
0: do we get, I think that's true, by the way, how do we get more Jordans, right? Like if I was still sitting in government <laughs> and whatever, I'd be thinking, you know, very inspiring story. How do we encourage more people To kind of have your mindset of going out, knocking down doors, you know, making shit happen. Mm. Like, how do we encourage more of that?
1: I think, I think a lot of young people I speak to anyway, there's a, they are very open to new ideas and they're very open to challenging the way that school parents have taught them to, to sort of see the world. But I think there is still a big pressure that comes from friends, from teachers, from parents, from the the supposedly wiser older generation who of course in so many ways will be wiser, and more experienced, but in so many other ways don't understand this new world. And I think it's it's about being a bit braver in allowing people to take more risk because the world is so shaken up. There is no security. <laughs> Working for Facebook, for example, yeah, yeah. Now, they just fired another eleven thousand people, maybe made them redundant there's no security working for these big companies. So why we're all, you know, doing anything that traditionally maybe would considered the safe route, the safe route's gone. So I think it's parents, it's schools, it's people to their friends being more supportive of risk-taking because there's so much opportunity out there and there's so much of an upside online. There's so, so many ways to make money and to have freedom and to live. Again, not to some hyper luxury level, but to build a lifestyle for yourself, which is ultimately yours and, you know, with, with your control. I think that opportunity is really there and so it's for everyone to support that a bit more from a governmental level down the university route is a complete waste of time for the vast vast majority of people and will only pull more and more people into the pits of despair that that system provides for so many like i've seen it firsthand i've lived it it's horrible horrible and i'm so passionately anti-higher education for the vast majority of jobs if you need to, to be a doctor a lawyer whatever fine but let's stop encouraging that, right? Let's actually have an environment where you say, right, well, what do you what do you love and how do you want to get that out into the world? How do you want to make money? How do you want to exist? And how do we be more people first rather than institutional, I think.
0: I think that's really good. One final question. You yeah. are obviously running your great Unboxed podcast, which I've appeared on, and you are literally unboxing the creative economy and what it means and I think that's what some generations sort of slightly struggle with is well how do these people actually make money and yeah what are the kind of things and it's such a fascinating kind of production that you're doing there but for somebody that hasn't engaged with any Sidemen content at all right Mm. because there'll be certainly my parents and I know even (laughs) a few of my mates won't have come across Mm. it right what would be one piece of content you'd recommend they go and watch on YouTube to get a bit of an introduction on them and that's a good question that's
1: a good question I think I do too. I think the the cheap versus expensive holiday in Europe, the Europe edition of that video, I think it's $100,000 versus $10,000 holiday, which is huge video. It's done amazingly well. That's a really good example of like, basically, I mean, you look at the numbers. It's, you know, huge, huge amounts of views, bigger than most shows will ever get. And I think to see the sort of one of the most popular versions of that format is is, is good because you get a sense of the guys when they're traveling, the dynamic, and you get to see why they're so popular because they're just so funny as a group and they have such a great sort of chemistry. And then I think on the other side, I think the Brutally Rate Themselves video recently is hilarious because it just shows them and their personality so vibrantly. And I think you'll see the numbers are massive on that as well very different type of video one studio based one's travel but it shows sort of the chemistry and the humour and the and the energy which people love and I think that's partly why that video was so popular so yeah those would be those would be two videos I'd say a good kind of examples of, of yeah pieces to check out
0: Brilliant Jordan thanks so much for coming on Jimmy's Jobs of the Future Hey thanks so much for having me Thanks for listening to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future We've come a long way since our first episode when I started recording this on my own in my daughter's nap times we are now a team that not only pulls together a podcast, but also creates content on multiple channels, whether that is our Substack, looking at the latest trends in business, entrepreneurship, and the future of work, or some of our more lighthearted takes on TikTok. And of course, our best moments are on YouTube. To find all our socials and best content links, click on the links in the show notes below.